We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. Today's topic is leadership, and who can deny that our country is in desperate need of it? Men who can inspire confidence because of their courage and their clarity. Men who will run into the storm rather than away from it. Men who will stick to their guns rather than compromise. I'm going to share with you the 10 lessons I learned through managing an institution for 17 years from the point of crisis to success. I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you so much for listening into the show. I'm very grateful and I appreciate the loyalty of all of you who have subscribed and all of you who listen on a routine and faithful basis. Again, thank you. Today's topic is leadership. And like I said in the introduction, who can deny that we need it? Our country, our culture is in desperate need of leaders who know who they are and know where they're going, who won't turn around and change direction just because things become difficult or there's opposition or a decision that they've made or something they've said, a principle that they've held is unpopular. Leaders lead on the basis of principles. They don't seek popularity. Leaders lead because of courage and character. They don't stick their finger in the wind and try to figure out what the consensus is. As self-evident as it is, leaders lead. They don't follow. They know what their mission is. They know what their cause is. They know where they're going, and they give other people the confidence to join in the march and join in the battle and fight the good fight with the confidence that even if they lose, they did the right thing. So on today's show, again, I'm going to share the 10 lessons I learned through leading an institution from the point of insolvency and exigency, crisis, to success. By God's grace, his providential grace, God granted us success at the end of the day. I'm going to share with you the bumps along the way and the lessons learned in that process of becoming a leader. And yes, indeed, I did become a leader throughout the course of the 17 years of being at the helm of a university. I don't know if I was one at the beginning, but I think at the end, far from perfect, I learned a few things, and I'm going to share that with you today. Let's take a break. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, let's jump into the topic here. For 17 years, I've told you this before, I was blessed to be a university president. I was appointed to the presidency of Oklahoma Wesleyan University in 2002. And during my time at the helm, during that 17-year period, I learned some things. And I'm going to try to share those lessons with you in the next few minutes. Now, I may not have time to get to all 10 lessons. And if I don't, don't panic. I'll finish it up in tomorrow's episode. So I won't cut myself artificially short on sharing these lessons with you just because of time. 
if I only get to three, four, or five today, that's okay. We'll finish it up in tomorrow's show. So let me set the context again for Oklahoma Wesleyan when I inherited it. Um, it was in financial exigency. It was insolvent. It was on the verge of bankruptcy. It was far from a model of fiscal health. Um, enrollment was down. Revenue was down. Debt was up. In fact, our total debt was almost equal to our budget, to our annual revenue. That's not a good financial model, folks. So what happened at the end of the 17-year reign? Uh, while I was blessed to be at the helm of this crisis, this sinking ship. Well, our enrollment more than doubled, as did our revenue. We paid down our debt to zero. We didn't owe anybody a dime. Our net a assets, excuse me, our net assets increased from about 14 million to over 40 million. So we had zero debt and we had 40 million in net assets. That was an increase from around 14. And our enrollment was up, our revenue was up, and we were actually cited by Bain as being in the top quartile of all institutions in the nation in terms of financial viability, all colleges and universities. So, and our reputation grew. I mean, we were known, I suppose, in Northeast Oklahoma, at least to some extent, but really not that well even there. And we were give, given a na national platform as a result of some of these good numbers. Uh, the reputation of the institution grew, and we moved from relative obscurity to one of national leadership. And I'm not boasting. This was all providential. This was God's grace. I was just blessed to be placed in the midst of this mess, and it literally was a mess. We were cited repeatedly as a champion of academic freedom and religious liberty. As I've shared with you, even Donald Trump invited us to Trump Tower to discuss academic freedom. I was invited to speak at the inaugural ceremony for the new uh, Department of Religious Freedom in Health and Human Services under the Trump administration. Fox and Friends was interested in hearing what we had to say. Tucker Carlson was. Glenn Beck was. The list goes on and on. You've heard all that before. So what did we learn in the midst of this? In the midst of moving an institution that was ready to close its doors to one that actually had a spring in, it, in its step and was being cited as exemplary rather than a failure. Well, the first lesson I learned, and you might want to write this down, um, if you're listening to it on podcast, I suppose you can just rewind it. But the first lesson I learned was this. Are you ready? If you inherit failure, break it and start over. I'll say that again. If you inherit a failure, if you're lucky enough, and I'm going to say that intentionally, if you are lucky enough, if you're blessed to inherit failure, break it and start over. Why do I say that? Well, as... Rahm Emanuel told us when he and Barack Obama took over the White House, never let a good crisis go to waste. And you know I don't agree with much of anything that Rahm Emanuel and Barack Obama did. But that was a very shrewd statement. Never let a good crisis go to waste. It's so true. If you're blessed to be given charge of a sinking ship, 
You can always, you can always lead more boldly than you could if you were given charge of an organization that is healthy. I'll say it again. If you inherit a sinking ship, you can always lead more boldly than you ever could if you were given charge of an organization that's healthy. So here's the point. Take advantage of the opportunity that's been presented to you. Don't squander it. Rather than trying to cure cancer by applying a Band-Aid, you need to cut out the disease. You need to perform surgery. You need to get rid of the carcinogens, too. You need to stop consuming the bad stuff that gave you the disease in the first place. You need to break the cycle and don't hesitate to actually break the organization. This is the only way you're going to save it. Don't let the crisis go to waste. Use the crisis as a launch pad for something different. A new plan to elevate the organization, the company, the culture, the college, the university, the school, the church, whatever it is. Use the crisis as the launch pad for something different and better. A new plan to elevate the company to a new level. Never let a good crisis go to waste. If you're fortunate enough to inherit failure, if God blesses you with a crisis, be thankful for it. Don't waste it. Break the organization. Be willing to break it and start over. Perform the radical surgery that's necessary to cut out the tumor. Stop consuming the carcinogens. Don't think you can apply a Band-Aid to a sinking ship and stop the leaks. You can't do it. You've got to tear the thing down and rebuild it. And this is your opportunity to do so. The second lesson I learned is that if you inherit success, don't break it, okay? You heard what I said in the first lesson. If you inherit a crisis, failure, be ready to break it and start over. It's an opportunity. But if you're handed success, don't break it. If you're fortunate enough to take over something that's working, then build upon the success. If your organization has been successful, if it has enjoyed some modicum of success before you were hired, your job basically is to not screw it up. Celebrate the things that have worked and keep doing them. And remember this, a spoonful of humility goes a long way. The person running the leg ahead of you in the race was likely there because he's faster than you. So be thankful that he gave you a lead in the race. Focus on the goal at hand and whatever you do, don't drop the baton. Take it and run forward. Now, now your ego will tempt you to ignore all the good and give too much time and attention to the few things that are bad, the complaints about the previous leader, you know, the guy that handed you the baton, the faculty, the teachers, the employees, you know, the administration, the board even, will complain about the things that he did wrong because he wasn't perfect. Nobody is. But don't be tempted to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't do that. Leaders are always tempted to do that because leaders have confidence. That's one of the reasons you're in a leadership role. 
And you're going to be tempted to throw the baby out and, and think that you're so much better than the guy before you, the guy that handed you a success. But true leadership identifies success and builds upon it. So the first lesson is, if you inherit failure, break it and start over. Thank the Lord for the crisis. Never let a good crisis go to waste. The second lesson is, if you inherit success, don't break it. Build upon the things that your predecessor gave you. Don't screw it up. He was your predecessor probably because he was better than you and got hired before you did. Recognize that. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Identify the successes and build upon them. The third lesson I learned, are you ready for this one? The third lesson I learned in leadership is that if you want to make everyone happy, don't be a leader. Do something different. Okay, go sell ice cream. You can make everybody happy if you sell ice cream. If you're a friend to all and an enemy to none, then you're a leader of no one. I'll say it again. If you're a friend to all and an enemy of none, then you are a leader of no one. The best coach I ever had made it very clear to us repeatedly that he was not our friend. He was not my friend. He was my coach. You hear me on that? The best coach I ever had when I played basketball told us, I'm not your friend, I'm your coach. He wanted us to understand the difference. He knew he couldn't make us all happy. He knew he needed to go do something else if that was his goal, to make everybody happy. He understood that in order to instill in me what I needed to learn, he could not try to appease me all the time or enable me or make me feel good about myself or about the team or the school or the community. He knew that he needed to push me. He needed to test me. And rather than being my friend, he had to stoke the fire inside me so that I would fight back and prevail. So here's the point. If popularity becomes more important to you than doing what's right for your organization, your community, your college, your culture, your corporation, your family, your church, whatever it is that you're leading, if it's more important for you to be popular than to be right, then it's time for you to resign and move on to do something else. The pursuit of popularity is a waste of time. So the third lesson of leadership is, if you want to make everybody happy, don't pretend to be a leader. Go do something else. Sell ice cream. The pursuit of popularity is a waste of time. You're not everybody's friend. The fourth lesson I learned was to never, ever bend the knee to the rage mob. Never bend the knee to the mob. When you're right, Stand. Stand tall and refuse to bow. You hear me on that? Because if you bow the knee to the rage mob, they will have your head. It's never enough. Never bow the knee to the mob. If you're right and you have confidence that you're right, regardless of the conflict, regardless of the pushback, stand tall and refuse to bow. St. Paul wrote that, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Close quote. It's better to lose your head than to lose your soul. Conviction 
is respected. Weakness is not. Never bow the knee. Never bow the knee. That isn't to say that you're not open to admitting that you're not perfect. But when you're confident that you've done the right thing, when you've stood firm, for example, in my case, on biblical inerrancy, the veracity of the truth with a capital T, that you pursue truth in education, you don't construct it. When you're confident in your position on these things, never bow the knee. When you're confident that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, and that it's an insult to the female to suggest that she's a fabrication and not a biological fact. When you're confident in those types of statements and positions, never bow the knee to the rage mob. Never bow. Stand firm. Conviction is respected. Weakness never is. The fifth lesson of leadership is that truth matters most. Truth matters most. Demand it. Demand the truth. Defend it. Defend the truth. Model it. Model the truth. Never compromise it. Never supplant it. Truth must always be first and foremost. Because without truth, there will never be any trust. Without truth, you will have no team. If you don't have truth, there is no change. People will not change if there isn't a standard of truth to guide them toward that change. They will always resort to infighting, backbiting, and mutiny if there is no truth. If there's no truth, there is no gospel and there is no grace. There's a reason that Jesus defines himself as the truth. With capital T, truth is central. It is the central thing in leadership. The minute you put something else ahead of truth is the minute you have designated yourself to be a follower and not a leader. Because you're following your opinions. You're following your feelings. You're following something other than the principles that should be primary, unshakable, the sumum bonum, the ultimate good, the first thing, truth. The minute the minute you put something else ahead of truth is the minute you've designated yourself to be a follower and not a leader. Put simply, if anything is more important to you than truth, you've already failed. You are not a leader. You're a joke. You're a liar. And leaders don't lie. The next lesson of leadership is this. If you're not willing to lose the battle, you're never going to win a war. You hear me on that? If you're not willing to lose, you're never going to win. It's a paradox here. My point's this. Your personal success is not the top priority. It's not about you. Yeah, I know. I know. You're going to say there's a ton of books. There's a plethora of books out there on how to find success, maintain success, how to look successful, and so on and so forth. But they're all garbage. True leadership is not about you. Stop worrying about you. Be willing to suffer defeat. If you have to be proud of suffering defeat, if doing what you know is right. The cause here for which you're fighting is more important than your resume or your career or your personal victories or, or your comfort or your ego. That's not important. 
So rather than turning and running away from the storm, which is the natural reaction of followers, you need to be prepared to run straight into the face of the storm, waving the banner, knowing that if you win, great, that's God's grace, but if you lose, it really doesn't matter. You don't care. At least you did the right thing and you went down fighting. That's leadership. When when I took over at Oklahoma Wesleyan, I had to resolve myself because I was scared to death of losing. I was scared to death that whatever I did wouldn't work. I was scared of losing the battle. And because of that fear, I was in danger of losing the entire war. It wasn't until I realized that, look, we're going to wave the banner of the truth of Christ, the truth of Scripture, the primacy of Christ, the priority of Scripture, the pursuit of truth, and the practice of wisdom, integrity, integration of head and heart and fact and faith and belief and behavior, a holistic person being sanctified, set apart for holiness, holistic, completeness, selflessness unto the Lord. When I finally reconciled myself that that was the right banner to wave, and great if we won waving that banner, that's God's grace. Not my doing, God's grace. But if we lose, I don't really care. At least we went down fighting. And I try, I try to make that the principle of every decision I make right now. You know, rather it be financial decision, whether it be a professional decision, whether it be a political decision, do what's right. And if you lose, it doesn't matter who the heck cares because there was something more important than that little skirmish. I found that people have a difficult time figuring me out because of that. They think I really do care about winning these little battles. I really don't. (laughs) I don't care. I'm going to do what's right. And if I lose the war, if I lose the battle, it doesn't matter. It's in God's hands because I, w- I waved the right banner. I did the right thing. Okay, the next lesson, the seventh lesson of leadership that I learned while I was at the helm of Oklahoma Wesleyan for 17 years was this. You need to care enough to confront. Uh, it's not about you feeling comfortable. It's not about you feeling liked. Uh, you need to care enough to confront, to be the bad guy. It isn't your job to be liked. Those about, you know, it, it frustrates me. Um, I hear a lot of people talk about grace and love and compassion as if they're in juxtaposition to truth and discipline and confrontation. No, that, that's a false dichotomy in my view. Grace and love and discipline and confrontation are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. So don't talk to me about grace and love as if they're somehow different and separate, juxtapositioned to truth, discipline, and confrontation. Those people that talk about that stuff as if it's a dichotomy and they lean toward the grace side, the loving side, as they call it, I think they're misdefining grace and love, quite frankly. They're ne- I, I have learned that they're nearly always more interested in being liked than they are in leading. I'm going to say it again. Those people that I've seen that fancy themselves as leaders, but they always talk about grace and love and compassion, and they never talk about truth, discipline, and confrontation, I have found that they are almost always more interested in being liked than they are in being a leader. Go Google the word enablement, okay? (laughs) Go find the definition of the word enablement, and you're going to find 
the picture of these people that like to be liked more than they want to lead. They're the poster child. They're the picture of this problem of likability versus leadership. A case in point here is parents, you know, moms and dads who want to be liked by their children at the expense of disciplining and raising up kids who have no idea that there's a universe out there and that they're not the center of it. Kids, children's, boys and girls who are always liked by their parents are almost never liked by anybody else. Grace without truth and love without discipline and compassion without confrontation are false dichotomies. I said it before. You can't argue for water without rain. You don't get a harvest without seeds and you don't get heat without fire. You get my point here? No pain, no gain. If you want to raise up a virtuous people, then you have to confront their vices. It's true of you, and it's true of anybody you're leading. You have to care enough to confront others, because your job isn't to be liked. Too much support and too little challenge, it always is always going to result in stagnation rather than growth. You need to remember this principle. This biblical principle, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And if the Lord uses discipline to encourage your growth, our leadership should do the same. St. James wrote this, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And the same can be said about leadership that is more concerned about likability than productivity. Being liked is far less valuable than being respected. Leaders choose to confront rather than enable. That's a key. One more time. Leaders choose to confront rather than enable. The whole issue of enablement is critical in our culture right now. It's one of the critical flaws in parenting. It's one of the critical flaws in organizations. It's the critical flaw that's driving much of the confusion, the physiological, biological, ontological, epistemological confusion that prevails in our schools, in our seminaries, in our colleges, in our universities, and even in the corporate world right now. We're enabling people in their delusions and in their lies, in their sin. Yeah, there's a word for it. It's called sin. And the Bible isn't the only place that sin is referred to. You've got psychologists, secular psychologists, that are saying stuff like, whatever became of sin. The concept of sin is important. And if you're always enabling somebody to feel good about themselves, to feel good about the things that they do, rather than feel guilty at certain times because they've done wrong, they've broken their word, they've compromised their integrity, They stole, they cheated, they were hateful, they maligned somebody unfairly. These are all sins, and you should not enable this stuff. You should confront it. Okay, that's enough for today. In tomorrow's show, I'll finish out the lessons that I've learned through leading an institution from crisis to success. Thanks for listening today. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.